Hi, and welcome to Meanwhile in the Future. I'm Rose Eveleth, and I'm your host. And we're going to start, as we always do, with a trip to the future. Let's go to the year 2045. Okay, all right. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for coming. We're really excited to show off this new piece of technology to you. Before we do, I just want to say a few words about our company, Lighterix. Lighterix is an international company with research facilities all over the world. We've got all kinds of incredible products on display here at CES this year. You can check them out after this in the displays behind me. Okay, anyway, let's get to what you're here for. This, ladies and gentlemen, is our brand new invisibility system. We're calling it the Dalton. Bonus points later if you can tell me why. And it's incredibly simple. Let me show you. Here we have a football. Remember when football was a huge national pastime? I kind of miss it. Anyway, so this football is here. You can pass it around, feel it. It's fully inflated. It's real. Now, let me put the football on this little table. And here we have the Dalton. Okay, so now I put the Dalton over the football, and I push this little button here, and there we go. It's gone. It's an invisibility cloak. <laughs> so I won't bore you with any more magic tricks, but I will tell you that these aren't for sale just yet. But you can sign up here and be put on our waiting list. We plan to start selling them in three months or so. Okay. Thanks for coming. Grab a USB stick. Okay, so in this future, we have actual invisibility cloaks. Like in Harry Potter, or in any number of other science fiction and fantasy stories. I didn't realize Harry Potter had cornered the market on invisibility until uh, our work <laughs> actually came out. That's David Smith. And I'm uh, currently chair uh, and uh, faculty member of the Department of Electrical and Computer Engineering at Duke University. Smith works on something called transformation optics. That's basically a fancy way of saying cloaking. In 2006, Smith and his team demonstrated that they could cloak something at microwave frequency. Since then, they've managed to cloak things using visible light. And this is all possible because of something called metamaterials. Uh, metamaterials is an artificial uh, structure. It's a... Um, it's it's like all right. So it's it's a long answer to that, and and breaking it that that down into something simple is difficult. But um, it's our answer to uh, creating materials, but doing it by uh, structure rather than just chemical composition. Let's try explaining that another way. Metamaterials is just a fancy way to say that it's a bunch of things mixed together to change the properties. We're kind of familiar with that, like vanilla ice cream. That's an ice cream, but Rocky Road. That would be a meta ice cream because it has all these things kind of mixed in together and it makes, it enhances the flavor. That's Anissa Ramirez. She's a former professor of material science and the author of a book called Newton's Football. And she actually suggested this future scenario to us. Here's how she explains the whole premise of transformation optics. So let's say that you have a stone and you put it in a stream of water. The stone is the object that we're going to image and the stream of water is light. And what light does, or what the stream of water does, is it passes over the stone, and it goes around the stone, it collects at the other end, and it keeps going. And so 
What we want to do is we want light to act the same way like that stream of water, where light goes around the object, collects at the other side, and keeps going. And that creates the stone to be invisible, because a person who's on one side of the stone will see the stream of water going forward, and on the other side of the stone, they'll see the, the stream of water going forward. So there will be no indication that there was some kind of disturbance in that stream of water. And so that, that rock doesn't exist. And so that's what we want to do with light. Now, that might seem simple, but it's actually really complicated to do. There are a couple of different ways to cloak things, but none of them are even close to the Harry Potter cloak you might be imagining. In a lot of these cases, the thing that scientists can disappear has to be really small. And often, it's only invisible if you look at it from the right direction, not all the way around. You see, to make a big invisibility cloak this way, there's a pretty fundamental problem. You might have heard of it before. It's called the speed of light. If you are cloaking something, you have to take that light and uh, have it detour around that object. And if it makes a large detour, it has to travel faster in order to make it back in the same time as the light originally would have made it going through a uh, vacuum. So what that means is light has to go faster than the speed of light, and you can't do that. And Smith says that even if they could somehow get around this small problem, the resulting cloak probably wouldn't be like in Harry Potter. But there is a movie he says that is a little bit more realistic as far as highly unlikely future inventions go. One of the things that, that was in my mind was uh, the, the, the cloaking in, in the movie Predator. Uh, and that is, I thought, was a, was a great portrayal of invisibility of the type that might be, uh, I, I don't want to say practical or realizable, but uh, at least more realizable. It showed both... Uh, the problems and the uh, possibilities. So one, it wasn't perfect. If, if you know the movie, uh, the alien never quite disappears, but sort of scrambles the light. And, uh, you know, it's imperfect, but it's a really good camouflage. So that was interesting. Also, uh, he has to, there's some power source. He turns the suit on and off. And if ever there was a case where uh, this would be realized at optical wavelengths or visible wavelengths, you would need to introduce some sort of power source. And that kind of technology has not been worked out yet, uh, but uh, it's, it's one of the requisite things that, that you'd need uh, if you wanted to really have a, a true cloaking at optical wavelengths. So I thought that that, was, that that movie kind of got some things right. So I think that was a little bit motivational. But this is a podcast about futures, probable and improbable. So let's not get bogged down too much in whether or not this kind of cloak defies the laws of physics. What if we had them? What would people use them for? Obviously, tons of stuff. I, I think the first the first customers would be celebrities for this invisibility thing. Um, I remember hearing a story when I was a kid that uh, Elvis used to go to the amusement park. He would buy the entire amusement park for that day so that he could enjoy it with his family. It's the same idea. It's like you don't you don't have to get rid of the people. This time you're getting rid of your, yourself in that environment in some ways. Personally, I would use it to help with social anxiety at parties and conferences. When things get a little too overwhelming, just slip it on and take a little break. Where would I go with my invisibility cloak? There must be some addresses in New York where really, really wealthy people are. I would see how far I can get into those buildings. <laughs> past the doorman, in the elevator, you know, past the, you know, their lobby. But the first thing that most people seem to dream up when offered an invisibility cloak is some kind of spying. You know, we have these services like Match.com. Well, there'd be another service which would be for infidelity. You want us to find out if your boyfriend's cheating on you? We can follow him and he would never know because we're completely invisible. If someone could be in the room with you at all times and you don't know it, it's going to change the way that we present ourselves, the way we speak, the way that we talk. 
I guess the the best way to use it would be for accountability purposes. So there are certain government agencies that don't allow they don't allow transparency. So you know they can't be subject to a Freedom of Information Act lawsuit, or they don't disclose documents to the to the public. And I would love to be a fly on the wall in those meetings. So I guess I would try to use it for uh, public interest good, but still essentially the same thing other people were saying, which is figure out a way to use it for spying. That's Margot Kaminsky. And I'm an assistant professor of law at the Moritz College of Law at The Ohio State University. I called her because I wanted to know how lawmakers might respond to an invisibility cloak. And it turns out that in some states, there might already be a law that applies here. Oh, yes. Um, States in the United States have had anti-mask laws from as early as 19th century. Uh, So New York enacted a law in, I think it was 1875, banning the wearing of masks in public. But these state anti-mask laws don't always mesh with Supreme Court decisions about anonymity. It turns out that in some cases, wearing a mask or an invisibility cloak might be considered a First Amendment issue. Courts vary a lot in how much expressiveness they require to find First Amendment protection. So for some of the courts, they say, you know, if you're wearing the mask, you only get free speech protection if you're actually speaking while wearing the mask. Others, it's if you're wearing the mask, you get free speech protection if the mask itself is in some way expressive. So, you know, if you're wearing the mask of the president um, and you're criticizing the president, then it looks like the mask is part. It's, you know, it's symbolic in a way that's meaningful for the First Amendment. But other courts have found that there's First Amendment protection for the mask wearing because it serves as a necessary corollary for expression. So, The idea is anonymity allows you to be disinhibited in a way that's valuable for free speech, not just free speech, but also freedom of association, which is probably more relevant in the invisibility cloak context. So if you have a bunch of people wearing invisibility cloaks who are doing so because, say, they want to have a group meeting, um, and so they're invoking the right of freedom of association, and the reason they're wearing invisibility cloaks is because there's something about association with that group that could expose them to ridicule or, you know, expose them to criticism. So let's say you're Orthodox Jewish um, or you're part of some other, you know, more conservative religious group and you're also gay, you know, you wear your invisibility cloak so that you can go to support meetings for people who are in that group. So there the anonymity is serving as a necessary protection, a necessary tool to invoke the right of association. Now, depending on what you do with the cloak, there are other laws that might apply too, particularly if you plan on spying on someone. Things like the state eavesdropping laws. Some states uh, require you to have the consent of both parties in a conversation if you're going to record it. So if you walk around with your invisibility cloak and you merely listen in on things, you're probably okay as long as you haven't trespassed. Um, So no sneaking into private rich apartments person. <laughs> um, but, but if you, you know, if you actually record the conversation and you haven't gotten the consent of both parties in some states, that's illegal. In other states, you just need the consent of one party, but presumably the person wearing the invisibility cloak isn't actually part of the conversation. So yes, yeah, so eavesdropping laws would govern, govern recordings like that. There are peeping Tom laws in a number of states that say, Basically, you can't sit at somebody's window and look into their house um, to spy on them. Those don't require recording. If you were wearing an invisibility cloak, you would absolutely be subject to a peeping Tom law, in part because one of the the described harms in a lot of these laws um, is that you do it and you're concealed. Like a lot of new technology, lawmakers will have to decide whether they think invisibility cloaks fall into one of two categories. 
They might think that the technology is too powerful and the potential for nefarious uses is too big to allow it. In that case, you'd see a blanket ban on the cloaks with exceptions in certain scenarios. This is how we regulate drones right now, and you can listen to our drone episode to learn more about that. Or they might think that the technology only has a small potential for harm and a big potential for good, in which case it would be legal except in specific cases. Now, invisibility cloaks aren't coming anytime soon. But the way that we think about privacy and anonymity, those are current questions. How do you deal with anonymity on the internet? How do you regulate cameras in public spaces? Do you have to know if some company or person is watching you? New technology almost always appears on a continuum with old technology and old regulations. And you just have to, you have to play the analogy game and figure out what is this most like and what makes it different from the things that came before. Laws aside, even if we had a full-on invisibility cloak that performed well, there would be limits to what you could actually do with it. You'd still be making sounds and smells. I think that uh, if invisibility cloaks were part of our, you know, part of our world, then policing with dogs would be very, very important. And if these things were used commonly, I'd imagine that many people would carry around some way of detecting invisible people. All you have to do is, you know, throw paint around or something and, and or, you know, dust or something and they'll appear very quickly. Plus, if you wanted to spy on someone, there are way better ways to do it than to try to actually put your body in the room with them. And in fact, the companies that make these cloaks might actually opt into some kind of giveaway system. So there was a there was a problem of um, people take using cell phone uh, cameras to take photos of women in locker rooms. Right. Again, that's a great example of new technologies enabling wonderful, productive uses. So the, the government threatened regulation, you know, to say you can't take cell phone photos, period. And there was actually a compromise with the cell phone technology manufacturers who realized it was in their best interest to try to avoid actual laws. And so what they did was instituted a a clicking sound, you know, the camera shutter sound that just could not be turned off. Maybe what would end up happening similarly is that you would have the invisibility cloak manufacturer who really wants to have their market, their unregulated market for invisibility cloaks, voluntarily deciding that we're going to create some kind of light that comes up um, when you enter into a space that has been designated as invisibility cloak free. So to recap, invisibility cloaks will be very, very hard to make. And they won't be perfect. And even if they are, they will almost certainly be regulated by both existing laws, new laws, and culture. But even if invisibility cloaks are never quite as good as in Harry Potter, that doesn't mean that the idea won't inspire more interesting physics. Do you ever get annoyed by people's obsession with the invisibility cloak thing? Uh, actually, never. Um, you know, the, the, the thing is that uh, I spent years working on stuff that no one cared about. This is the first time when you can tell people exactly what you're doing in just one sentence, and they get it, and they say, okay, I understand what you're striving to do here. Whenever you have uh, uh, high school kids and, and junior high school kids emailing you and interested about careers in science, that's a great thing. For more on the physics behind these invisibility cloaks and on the ways we might regulate them, head to gizmodo.com, where we'll post more links and information. Meanwhile in the Future is a podcast from Gizmodo. It's produced by me, Rose Eveleth. Special thanks this week to Brent Rose. The intro music is by Asura, and the outro music that you're listening to right now is by Broke for Free. If you have futures you want to suggest, you can send them to at Future on Twitter, facebook.com slash meanwhilefuture, or by email, where we're overthinking it at gizmodo.com. That's all for this future. Come back next week for a new one. <laughs> <laughs>